Welcome back to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, the podcast where we discover what skills can help you live your best life. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey, and each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful. You'll get a firsthand account of how they develop those skills, as well as their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Now, let's talk about skills, baby. This week, we're joined by Sebastian Turbo. Thank you so much for joining us, Sebastian. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. Sebastian is the CEO and Chief Strategist of ECO6, which is EKO6, a Canadian-based consultancy that guides governments, cities, businesses, and civil society in creating engaging platforms that turn ideas into action. Sebastian is currently a research fellow at WISE, which is the World Innovation Summit for Education, and developing a living lab on learning ecosystems and cities. The lab will seek to build a global community of practice and to support urban ecosystems in designing, testing, and prototyping learning ecosystems that help communities develop the knowledge, skills, and talents they need to address the evolving needs and complexities of current and future societies. Sebastian, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what led you into this work. Well, I mean, it's been an interesting and long journey, I would say. It actually started off when I was working back in 2001 in Afghanistan, interesting place and country, and where I was working, you know, in the humanitarian and development field on what's called in the jargon as behavior change communication, public information, social marketing. What it is basically is using mass media, traditional media to promote key messaging, key learnings, educational key topics such as education and how to vote, how to have basic hygiene practices. And this is really where I discovered that in a country where there was no formal education sector, that you could really leverage other means of learning and education. That led me then to work with TEDx Paris, the, the TED version in Paris, and realizing that there was this, this thirst actually around the world for new forms of learning, which then led me to a first stunt at WISE, the World Innovation Summit for Education, where I was the kind of global editor-in-chief, you know, a deep dive into the future of education conversation, you know, around edtech, the future of teaching, are your universities still worth it, are diplomas still worth it, lots of really fascinating questions. And then I, I moved on to leading a foundation here in Montreal called the New Cities Foundation. So this was more of a focus on the future of cities. How do we make cities more resilient, more livable, you know, happier cities looking at the future of mobility and autonomous vehicles and e-scooters. But in the shift between education and cities, I realized that in the cities conversation, in the cities world, there wasn't that much talk about learning and education. And as a mirror to that, realizing that in the education world, there wasn't that much talk about how cities were evolving and the challenges that some of these city leaders were facing. And this is where I really wanted to start to explore where these two topics met and what was happening, if anything, there. That makes sense. Well, let's go back to the beginning here for a moment. I hope you don't mind. I have a couple of questions. So when in your time in Afghanistan, when you were talking about sort of alternative forms of education, what at that point in time, I don't know what year it might have been, but you know, what was sort of coming up as other alternatives besides the traditional? 
So this was out of school, out of formal school education, then we would use some traditional tools. There was no internet back then, but mostly, you know, radio and TV and billboards. But we were also really trying to tap into more traditional forms of communication and hence of learning. We did lots of programs around theater, around poetry, and stuff like that to help the educational outcomes or the knowledge that Afghans could build on. Yeah, it's almost like finding a fun way to share information. When I think of the theater style or poetry, it's like, how else can we share these messages without it being maybe they might not take it directly as education would be my guess on trying to find some of those other forms. Was it successful? To an extent, yes. It's a fascinating, complicated country. Basic levels of education and knowledge were really low. So it was challenging. But a few issues like education, women's rights, road safety, basic hygiene practices, and of course, of washing your hands and stuff like that. I think we did, a, we, we did a pretty good job. That's really neat. And so at this point in time, when you started to get into this, did this have more meaning for you in your life just beyond work as well? Well, yes. I mean, it's a life-changing uh, experience for sure. It, well, for me, it really helped me understand that what I was good at and what I liked to do was to take complicated topics and, and, and simplify them, and, but in, in a good way, as in making them more accessible and make these, these messages or these key topics more, more accessible. That sort of skill set, just the, the love and the passion around solving complex problems, but then also the ability to sort of distill that information, getting down to the various levels of communication, because of course, all of the different audiences that you were talking with, empathy, my goodness, like the list goes on at what really is this magical skill set for someone in your position, but, it, but that passion that you bring into it as well is just, it's sort of that magic that everyone looks for when they're trying to find like, what do I want to do in my life? Uh, I love this. And now as it turns out, I have all these positive attributes that make me do that quite well. <laughs> I would add one, cause I was thinking about this one skill that I've realized I practiced and honed was listening, you know, kind of empathy and, and listening. You rarely have the opportunity to life to find yourself in, in a culture and a society where you have no codes whatsoever. You're really starting from scratch. So you, you have to listen, you have to open your heart, open your eyes to be able to understand what you need to do, not to do, how things work. And I, I think this has really carried me throughout my career in the sense of, yes, I'll tag myself as an expert or a generalist, but you know, I don't like to be like the kind of consultancy type coming in and saying, I already know the answer to your problem without having you even really listen to you. And this is something I think, especially to a younger audience, find your opportunity to take a deep dive into a place where you're, you're lost. All your social references are gone. You know, I'm so glad you honed in on that as well, because I hardly ever talk with anyone about listening as a skill, but it's such an important skill. And I am really curious to hear now we have an idea of where your passion lies in this area, which is wonderful. We understand a good bit about the skills that are really making you successful, but I want to dive into the work aspect of this a little bit more because this is just such a fascinating concept. You're right. Most people don't consider regional context and education in the same discussions. What really led you to think, wow, these are conversations that should be in line? As I was saying, the kind of education sector is still going through its own revolution, reinventing education and moving away from like an industrial model education. There's this quote I like, we have 21st century students with 20th century teachers, a 19th century curriculum and an 18th century school calendar. <laughs> how, do, how do we move away from that? Making sure that, that learning and education is less siloed, more connected to the real world. It's really about lifelong learning, about you know learner agency, more personalized, and really about learning to learn. So you have this whole shift 
shift happening in the education world. On the city side, it was really about competition, growing competition between cities, especially when we talk cities, we often think New York, Los Angeles, Paris, these mega cities, but they're, they're good. They should be fine. But I'm thinking more second tier cities who have more to gain and more to lose with all these shifts happening right now in the world. So they're competing for talent to attract and retain talent. They're competing to attract businesses and investment. They're competing to ensure that they're future proof. You know, they're anticipating that they may lose lots of jobs because of automation or whatnot. But they also want to make sure that their, their population, their residents are ready for these future jobs that we don't even know what these jobs are going to be. So basically cities realizing that skills is their business. And this was kind of new for cities. They hadn't really seen skills as something that they should focus on. But realizing in the COVID crisis in a way is helping them that skills and learning are intrinsically linked to their resiliency strategies and making these cities more more adaptive and making these cities more flexible, being able to, to bend and not break. So increasing pressure on cities to participate, lead, support the skilling, the reskilling, the upskilling of their residents and citizens. And so the questions we asked, to get back to your question, was couldn't we be doing more? Aren't there ways to better maximize learning at the city space, you know, to complement formal education systems and maximize learning at the city level? And on this, I guess, you know, a quote and a statistic, there's nothing new here in a way. I was looking into this. The, the Greek philosopher Plutarch was saying that, is the city the best teacher? So the Greeks were already asking this question. So in a way, nothing new. And the data point I, I like to give to people is, well, actually question to you, Kelly, what's the percentage of their waking hours that students spend in school? Wow. I don't know. I feel like it's got to be 75%, no? 20%. 20%. Students only spend 20% of their waking time in school. So this is where, once again, is there not an opportunity, something to tap into, you know, to provide more new learning opportunities as, you know, in, in playgrounds, it's bus stations when they're doing the other groceries, just to give a very concrete example. So basically, as my take and our take revise is how can we tap into that potential? And people are as we speak. So better understanding who's doing what, understanding what works and what doesn't, and be able to, to leverage, scale that and support those who would want to look into, into this question of learning ecosystems and learning cities and, and help design the toolbox for them to, to take this task on. Yeah. The first question that I have when I hear this is, are there any specific cities that you're focusing in on? Question number two on the same thread, is this like a global thought process when you talk about cities? And the third is, why cities when we talk about a region? Why not, again, in the US, why not county, MSA, state, right? But there's all various versions of that globally. Why city? Okay, so your first question was? Any specific cities. So, well, why is this very global? So we're looking at potentially all places, all territories, all cities. We do you know WISE is based in Qatar, uh, in the Middle East, in the GCC, and we do hope to take most of these learnings to Doha, the capital city, to help them become a learning city. So there's that. But I guess, what are the kind of cities that are emerging on, on this map of learning ecosystems and learning cities? Truth be said, it's mostly Western, I'd say even, you know, Anglo-Saxon cities. So a lot in the UK, a lot in the US. The UK, I can mention you know, Manchester, Bristol, Liverpool, Plymouth. In the US, one city that really stands out is Chicago. But otherwise, you know, cities like Medellin, Nairobi, Singapore in, in its own way. A lot of Korean cities are trying to build on, on this idea. 
Interesting. Why cities as well? Well, one is to say that, you know, as we speak, over half the population of the world lives in cities. And this is just, you know, anticipated to rise to 60, 70% in 20 years from now. So there is this reality of the world is now an urban world and will stay so. Plus, there is this momentum as we speak in the in the cities conversation around, you know, the past five, 10 years, just really amazing energy and momentum around projects around civic participation, collaboration at the city level. So there's also this kind of practical aspect, at least for us, of trying to tap into this emerging but very thriving kind of urban innovation conversation to use that as a kind of backbone, if you want, to this thinking around learning ecosystems. Not to say that what we're talking about isn't applicable to the suburbs or to rural areas. It definitely is, but indeed wanting to start in the city space. Okay. There's so many questions that I have around this, but I just love this. I kind of want to dive deep and just hear how you go through this process. But before we jump in there, are you seeing a lot of commonality of solutions like these ecosystems that could work broadly, like what you learn in one location? Does it have to be a lot adjusted or slight adjustments? How much overlap are you seeing in what you learn? I'd say there's a lot of overlap, at least in the sense that you often find yourself with the same issues and challenges in terms of developing and implementing these types of ecosystems. You know, it's a lot around questions of trust between these different actors, looking at what type of collaboration models, looking at leadership, governance, questions around what type of pedagogies. I think there is a lot of overlap in terms of the issues and the challenges they share that, of course, we need to contextualize. But just to give you an obvious one, yeah, there's like a clear divide between cities or places where education, I mean, who, as we speak, is legally responsible for the education mandate? Is it the cities? Is it the region, the states, the national government? So depending on, you know, typically I'm, I'm from France, it's, uh, education is still in the national mandate. So there's that of how can you link what you want to do at the city and having to convince, you know, your, your prime minister, your minister of education before you can actually do anything. In other countries like the U.S., there is more flexibility and the responsibility of education is more like down to the ground. So there's questions like this, of course, contextually, but I see the potential now to replicate and scale. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Is there a city or maybe multiple cities that you would say they've just cracked the code and are doing it really well? Cities that I've already mentioned, I'd say Plymouth, Bristol, and Chicago, they've implemented what I think is recognized by this small community as a really good example. So in, in the UK, it's called the Cities of Learning Project. In the US, it's called LRNG. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I am, yeah. And with Cities of Learning. So this is so oh, fascinating. Yep. Well, there you go. But to, to explain to your audience, and actually I'll put on a, you know my user experience hat. Let's say you're 2022 and you have a passion for a topic and you want to actually go to work in this field. But for whatever reasons, there's no formal educational offer, or you don't have the time for it. Basically, what these two programs do is they've created this app where they've talked to employers and say, okay, what are the skills you need? Okay, and really list them. Then they've went out and looked in communities and neighborhoods, what are the offers available linked to these skills? It might be a hackathon, might be a workshop, might be an exhibition, you know, might be mentoring projects, internship projects. So they have this whole database. And then you as a user, you download the app because it's app-based and you say, okay, I want to develop this skill, this skill, and this skill. Okay. And then it comes up with a playlist. They call it, I actually call it a playlist. And you choose what you want to do. So you build really this notion of learner agency, which is really important. Putting the learner in the driver's seat of his or her own learning be able to say, okay, I like to hack stuff. So I'll go to, I'll go to the hackathons. I'm more of a listener. So I'll go to the conferences and the TED talks. Sure. You get to pick what works for you. Yeah, exactly. 
it's interesting because the city's involved, employers are involved, the wider community is involved. There's this notion of learner agency. Uh, we can get to that maybe a bit later, this whole question of, of also how do you assess the learning? How do you recognize these skills and stuff like that? So there's a lot bundled in these two projects. Yeah. Hey everyone, this is Sari from the Skills Baby team, and I'm here to tell you about the upcoming events that Skills Baby is hosting in the coming weeks. We're gonna be diving deeper into the future of work and the future of education, which in other words, is the future of skills. If you wanna be a part of the conversation, head to skillsbaby.com events to register. We would love to have you. So does your organization provide services to sort of help understand if there was another region that was interested or needed this type of assistance, do you go in and sort of help understand what's going on in their region? And how does this work from your end? Well, yes, definitely. You know, Echo 6, we support city leaders or sometimes organizations. Yeah, it can come from cities, it can come from sometimes from the employers, sometimes from the local chamber of commerce, sometimes from civil society. But yes, yeah, support them in better understanding the potential of learning ecosystems and then helping them design, test, develop and prototype these learning ecosystems. What's, what's also interesting is that lots of these learning ecosystems are about the skills gap. I'd say, you know, maybe 70 to 80% of these learning ecosystems are focusing at the local level on skills gap. But even when they're not focusing on the skills gap, when it's maybe more looking at, you know, helping the city reach its SDG goals or looking at uh, social cohesion or sustainability, for example, skills are still front and center of the conversation because this link between formal and informal really encourages skills-based learning approach, if you want. It's hard skills, soft skills, social emotional skills, you know, it's collaboration, communication, creativity, empathy, foresight, adaptability. So skills are really front and center of this learning ecosystems conversation. It's not it's not just how can I better access knowledge, but it's also how do I leverage the fact that I'm traveling my city to be able to develop skills. So it's not just about learning more. It's about learning better and honing new skills. And actually you had touched on this earlier about sort of these assessment of skills, right? Because this is, I think that's a slight difference when we talk about formal education versus other is a lot of people say, I mean, let's not get into that. There are arguments over the formal (laughs) educational assessments. Let's not go there, but I would love to hear a little bit about how you're approaching and thinking of assessing when we're talking about skills and sort of alternative learning opportunities. As in the whole conversation around assessing skills, there's indeed, you know, how do you assess something that's so intangible? You know, you can't really test for a skill. You can't test for creativity. So indeed, looking at, you know, more kind of peer-based assessments where it's less the test, it's less Q&A, but more about peer-based recognition of your mastery of a given skill. You know, you don't expect children to pass test in violin playing and you trust the teacher in assessing that. So there's that conversation. But where it's really interesting for me is less than on the assessment, it's the recognition of these skills. And this is where there's a whole conversation around digital badges. So I don't know how familiar your audience is, but you know, for those who aren't, two things here. Remember when we were all Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and you would learn to make a fire and you would get the little flamey thing, you know, I know how to make a fire. If you knew how to use the first aid kit, same thing. The more contemporary version is LinkedIn. And you know, the skills endorsements. We don't use it that much. If you ask me, we don't leverage it well. But this idea of aside from your diploma, aside from your, you know, your job titles, if on any given skill, Kelly, you've had 300 people endorse you for that specific skill, does it not send a message that you actually master the skill? 
So anyway, there's this whole thing around digital badges and recognizing these skills. So if I go back to my example, employers have said, we want them to have this skill. They've looked at the, you know, the learning opportunities and they said, okay, if you do three or four or five or six, you get the level where the system, the, the platform, the ecosystem will recognize that you've reached that skill. So this is really a lot of the same thinking going around in terms of assessing and recognizing, honing of these skills within these learning ecosystems. Yeah, I think it's a great point with the badging. So, you know, are you finding that employers are really able to acknowledge that, yes, we agree that this badge means you have this? Or are you finding that there needs to be some sort of communication happening for that structure to be in place? Well, actually, it links back to the question around why this focus may be on cities or at least on a specific place. By this, I mean that we onboard the employers from the start in the sense of they said, okay, here are the skills we need. They presented the possible pathways. They recognized that, yes, okay, if someone were to do this, 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 and this, and if this person comes with a badge, yes, I will recognize. So they've agreed. But this is where maybe the downside is, it's within that community in the sense of as we speak, I don't think these badges are really transferable. I mean, in the sense of if I participate in a program in Chicago and I have my whatever skill. And if I go to LA and look for a job and I say, oh, but wait, no, I got this badge when I was in Chicago. But fortunately, as we speak, I'm not sure an employer back in LA would say, yeah, but I've never heard of this. I don't know what this is. But at least at the local level, trying to solve the skills gap locally, employers are on board and are ready to recognize these badges as valid demonstration of the mastery of a skill. I wonder, and you may already have been thinking this through, I wonder, as our world is naturally turning more virtual and people may not necessarily be in the same location that they work, how much that will start to be like another challenge that we need to address and, and sort of sort out. Generally speaking on the learning ecosystems and technology, you know, I like to say the same thing, you know, ed tech will only make a bad education worse. It's not necessarily the, the silver bullets. Technology is at the heart of most of these learning ecosystems, but more as the infrastructure, the platform, the backbone. But then I would say learning ecosystems are agnostic in terms of technology in the sense of it's more about how do you want to learn and when do you want to learn? You know, is it about mentorship, internship, once again, participating in activities like hackathons or is it going to conferences? So once we've said that, once you, Kelly, have said, this is what I want to do, if you can do it physically, so much the better. If you want to do it remotely and digitally, fine. It doesn't, it doesn't really change. So I tend to define a kind of tech agnostic version of learning ecosystems, aside from the backbone, the platform that connects all these actors and all these ideas and learning opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, we talked a lot about just skills in general, but I wonder when, when I talk about life skills, I think immediately about you describing this technology as the backbone, but all the people that are interacting with this technology, let alone the learners, right? But like all the other people that are interacting with this, be it if it's an employer, so on and so forth, however much they agreed, is there a training that has to happen. I'm just like thinking of ongoing sort of like skill training of, because they may not be familiar with this process or how to understand when they see this, that it means that. Is there a lot of that, that, you know, more of like change management, I would say maybe instead of training that happens from the people utilizing these systems? On the learner side, it's quite intuitive, and especially with, with young learners, it's it's okay. Indeed, it's more of a challenge when you're talking to kind of more traditional industry business leaders, when you're talking to teachers, they are less attuned to this. But I think it's changing, and I, it's one of the challenges, but it's still not top of list for me. I'd love to know what else 
you are working on? Because I love this topic and I'm sure there's other innovation points as well. One thing I'm currently working on a lot is really looking at how we can, especially in the business sector, how can we better leverage conferences, events, mega events, like, you know, Olympic Games or World Cups and turning these into also learning opportunities. Most people in the world see conferences as you have these 2,000 people coming into a city, they're locked into the hotel ballroom and the hotel restaurants and their bedrooms, and then they kind of come and go. But whatever topic was at the heart of their conversation, the future of transport, the future of business, future of marketing, future of learning, whatever, does not impact the local community on this specific topic. So it's looking at how to bring out more learning for local communities around these big events and these big conferences, especially that, you know, they're all on hold as we speak now. They are going to come back. People might not want them back. So we're trying to help these the cities hosting these events and the organizers of these events develop a thinking and process around local social impact to be able to say to the host communities, look, uh, you need to perceive uh, these conferences as positive for you and not just from a, you know, a tax point of view or, you know, people buying souvenirs in the souvenir shops, but also that if there's a conference coming in on sustainability, it will participate in improving the sustainability of our city. So it's still learning. It's still learning at the city level, but more from the kind of event side. I actually really like that. I started automatically thinking of other ways that you could integrate. I'm sure all of us have been involved in a conference where you go to a location for a period of two days in which you never step outside because you're just in that hotel and conference center. But imagine if it was more integrated into that particular city. I often say I would love to have visited the city that I just got to go to (laughs) for this conference, but there may be ways to incorporate, you know, what's going on. It, it just got my mind going. So that is really fascinating. I'd love to, to hear more about that as it progresses. Very cool. Well, Sebastian, I'd love to give you a moment here. And if there's anything else you'd like to share with our audience about either your work or something else you're interested in, I give you the open mic. A last point, which I wanted to mention earlier, is the difference between, because often people come to me saying, oh, so this is about personalized learning. For me, personalized learning has kind of been taken over by the tech conversation. It's, okay, how do we develop software and algorithms that can push content to me depending on how the software assesses my level in any given topic? The learner agency for me is really important. It's really at the heart of this thinking around our learning ecosystems. And I'm saying this because I know it can feel fluffy to most people when we talk about learner agency. But it's really, how can we design systems where the learners are really in the driver's seat of their own learning, that they choose what they want to learn, when they want to learn, how they want to learn it. So it's not just having the right pushed content to me, but really about getting learners of all ages, not just students, but really how do we put learners in the driver's seat of their own learning? I know it's been talked about for a long time, but I think with projects and processes like learning cities and learning ecosystems, we may just be able to crack this kind of wicked problem. I'm so glad you pointed that out. I do not think it's fluffy at all in this conversation. AI is getting fantastic, but how would we know where someone's passions lie? What is the best way that they learn? What might be interesting to them? Because it changes so frequently. (laughs) What I might want to do today might not be, you know, what I'm interested in learning a year from now. Indeed. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us today. For anyone that would like to keep tabs on Sebastian's work, I highly suggest you follow him on LinkedIn and Twitter. Yeah, S-T-U-R-B-O-T. Thank you. And then Echo 6 is available at EKO6 Communities on Twitter. So definitely take a quick peek. I will make sure to share anything that we've 
chatted about today and especially with your work with WISE, of course, you can follow them on social media as well. Thank you. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your community. Ratings, reviews, and suggestions are great sources of feedback and always appreciated. And please reach out and connect with me on social at Kelly Ryan Bailey. I'd love to meet you and continue the conversation. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, keep growing your skills and have a great day.